0: Turn to Acts chapter 8, give you a little bit of uh, an intro here, explain what's going on. In chapter 7 of the book of Acts, Stephen is martyred. He's the first martyr. And Paul, who wrote the book of First Timothy that we've been studying most recently, uh, was not yet known as Paul. He was known, kids, do you know what his name was? His name at that time was still Saul. And what else do we know about him? You answered the first question. Somebody else. Kids, was he good or bad? Was Saul good or bad? Bad. That's right. That's right. He was bad. And so our first verse this morning says that Saul was in hearty agreement with putting him to death, speaking of Stephen. That Saul was delighted that Stephen had been put to death. Now, the... uh, most of chapter seven in Acts is a is a long sermon that Stephen preaches to the Jews, and that's what makes them so mad. He proclaims the gospel to them, and it and it makes them absolutely angry, and that includes Saul. And so he uh, he is the start. At his death, it is the start of a very intense persecution, and that's. What we read the beginning of, and that's what the verse continues on to say, it says, And on that day, a great persecution began against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. So the church had been established by Jesus Christ in Jerusalem, and yet he had said that they were going to go out into the uttermost ends of the earth into Judea and Samaria and and beyond, right? And this is how God chose to begin that process of sending them out. He had warned them that a persecution would come. He had warned them about the dangers that they would face in Jerusalem. And so when the persecution begins, they do exactly what he said to do before he went up into heaven, which is they leave, And what I want you, just before we even get started, I want you to notice right in that verse we just read that it says that everybody left except whom? Except the apostles. It's a good Sunday school answer, though. Good (laughs) guess. Except the apostles. So the leaders of the church, the leaders that God had put in place... Stay for some time. This doesn't mean they stay forever, but as, as this persecution begins, the, the Christians scatter, but the apostles remain there and face that persecution in a way that is unique and appropriate for men who are in leadership. Okay? They stay and they face that difficulty. And so, as the church scatters out, you see they first come to Samaria. And that's where uh, we're going to read about them going to and we're going to read about what happens there as the church begins to be established. So please stand for the reading of God's word. Again, chapter 8 in Acts, verses 1 through 13. Saul was in hearty agreement with putting him to death. And on that day, a great persecution began against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Some devout men buried Stephen and made loud lamentation over him. But Saul began ravaging the church, entering house after house, and dragging off men and women. He would put them in prison. Therefore, those who had been scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and began proclaiming Christ to them. The crowds, with one accord, were giving attention to what was said by Philip as they heard and saw the signs which he was performing. For in the case of many who had unclean spirits, they were coming out of them shouting with a loud voice, and many who had been paralyzed and lame were healed. So there was much rejoicing in that city. Now there was a man named Simon who formerly was practicing magic in the city and astonishing the people of Samaria, claiming to be someone great. And they all, from smallest to greatest, were giving attention to him, saying, this man is what is called the great power of God. And they were giving him attention because he had for a long time astonished them with his magic arts. But when they believed Philip, preaching the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were being baptized, men and women alike. Even Simon himself believed. And after being baptized, he continued on with Philip, and as he observed signs and great miracles taking place, he was constantly amazed. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. So last week I mentioned Simon. We talked about simony, the, the practice that was named after him, of buying and selling uh, religious positions for the sake of benefit. We don't quite make it to that to that passage. It, it comes after this, um, after what we read. But I want us to take a... A week and look at Simon a little bit more in depth. And the question that I want us to answer this morning is, who are you going to follow? Who are you going to listen to? Who are you going to learn from? Who is going to decide what is important to you? Who is going to determine what you like? Now that's a lot of questions, but they all sort of boil down to the same thing, because who are you going to follow? That determines who you're going to let lead you in your desires. You understand how that works? When, when as a, as a man or a woman, you begin to follow somebody, they rub off on you, in very specific ways, and that includes the things that you like and don't like a lot of the time, right? The things that you think are neat, the things that you want to do. I remember my, I remember, I think it was my uncle, it was a pastor pointing out to me that one of the things that happened after he put a pool in at his house, was that other people started putting pools in. Now, that's to us in America today, who are absolutely intent on insisting that we are our own individuals, that sounds like a crazy thing to say, doesn't it? <laughs> that that. That something that simplistic, you know, he did it, and so other people started doing it? People who were in his church? Or it sounds egotistical, right? But his point wasn't, look how much they follow me or look how much they like me. His point was just, you better watch out what you do because the things that you do, people, people look at those, they examine those, they think about those, then they're on their mind, then they begin to do those things. And this is the same thing that happens when uh, when kids are at school, you know, you go to school and there's some kid there and you think, man, he's cool. And how does that decision happen? Well, you know, it's it, it just kind of happens without thinking about it, right? They do something amazing, they show off out on the playground, they end up uh getting a good grade on a test. There's there's various things that might appeal to you that you see and you're like, man, that's cool. And then what? Then that person that you think is cool shows up at school with a particular kind of calculator maybe. And you think you need that kind of calculator, right? or they show up at school with a new particular kind of shoes on and you think, "Oh man, I like those. I want those kinds of shoes." You see how simple it is? You see how you see how we work, right? When we begin to follow somebody, that means that we begin to like the things that they like. Right? It's really very straightforward. And so the question, as I said, is who are you going to follow? And that goes all the way to what are, you, what are you going to like? Or who is going to determine what you like? And and I want to just say right here at the beginning, you can, you can deny all you want that it will be anybody else and just say, I'm going to determine what I like, right? It doesn't work that way. It just doesn't work that way. I remember years and years ago watching, uh, I think it was a 60 Minutes, called The Merchants of Cool. And it was about who determines what is cool in our society and the outcome of them determining what cool is in, in youth culture okay and and there's no place that is more insistent that they decide for themselves what is cool than youth culture right and yet this whole mini documentary was about explaining how actually cool is bought and sold and everybody follows Whoever has bought, cool. We'll see more examples of this. But in our text, what we see is two examples of particular men who we have a a choice to follow, to be like. Philip and Simon, right? Philip and Simon. And the contrast between the two is huge. But I want you to see the similarities between them. If you just sort of look at it from a world's eye perspective, what you see is they both had power. They both had influence. They both had people following them, right? But in Philip, the power of God was displayed, And it looked like demons being cast out and coming out with a loud shout, right? There was, there was no doubt that what was going on here was the power of God. Casting out evil spirits, preaching Christ and the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. But Simon, on the other hand, Simon also had some power, didn't he? The inferiority of his power, the lesser nature of his power, the pathetic nature of his power, only became clear once God displayed his true power through Philip. Because prior to Philip arriving down there in Samaria, who had everybody following him? Simon did. And what did they all say about him? Do you remember how they described him? It said that they, uh, uh, where is it, verse 9, that the people were being astonished that he was claiming to be someone great, and everybody, it says from smallest to greatest, were giving him attention and saying this man is what is called the great power of God. So here you've got Simon on the one hand, and what he does must be impressive. Okay? You're not talking about, and all of the idiots followed him. Right? It doesn't say, and all of the most gullible followed him. And all of the people who had never seen anything that was actually impressive before followed him. What does it say? From smallest to greatest, they were all astonished and they all said, hey, This is the great power of God, right? But from there, what? From there, Philip shows up. And what does it say about him? It's a couple of verses earlier. It says the crowds were giving attention to what was said by Philip as they saw and heard the signs which he was performing. I missed where I, where I was going with this one too. What verse is it? They verse Yeah, verse 6. The crowds, okay, the crowds with one accord were giving attention. And so all of a sudden Philip shows up. And they they see the signs that he's performing and they hear what he's performing. And what happens? There is much rejoicing, verse 8, in the city. You see that? So you've got this man, Simon, and he has a, a power to influence and a power to amaze on the one hand. And on the other hand, you have Philip who has the power of God. Now, Simon, they all said, had the great power of God, right? But Philip comes and he actually has the power of God. And what does it produce? It produces wonders. They were amazed, just like they were amazed at Simon. But it also produces rejoicing. Isn't that interesting? Now, I I want you to think about that. The power of God, when it's truly displayed, ends up producing rejoicing on the part of the people. And they begin to be baptized, men and women alike. And Simon, verse 13 was constantly amazed so even if you have the people comparing the two leaders and thinking well they're both doing amazing powerful wonders right but this one makes us happy the gospel message right <laughs> it makes us rejoice it makes us be baptized the the thing to note is that even simon was amazed constantly amazed. Now go back to the time of the Jews in Egypt, and they were slaves, and Moses and Aaron go to Pharaoh. And you remember there were magicians there, right? And the magicians were able to do some of the signs and wonders that God had given to Moses. They were able to do tricks. So when when Moses put his hand into his robe and brought it out and it was covered with leprosy right what did the what did the magicians do the egyptian magicians they 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 did the same thing right and so pharaoh said get out of here you know and then when when he threw down his rod it became a snake but they managed to perform some sort of the same trick right but as a trick and so the thing that's worth noting there is that what happens to the snakes? Yeah, the, the magician's snakes get eaten up by Moses' snake, right? But that's not enough of a sign for Pharaoh. Well, of course, we know that in the end, there was no sign that was enough for Pharaoh. But at some point, the, the magicians say, we can't do this, right? At some point, the magicians begin to say, goodness, this is, this is astounding. This is incredible. And, and my goodness, Pharaoh, are you intent on destroying this land because of all of the plagues that had come, right? And so here you have the same sort of competition between the, between a messenger from God and a messenger claiming to be from the gods, if you will. And the messenger from the gods can only perform some Tricks, right? Been given the gift of amazing people. Been given the the gift of tricking people, if you will. But when the power of God shows up, there is no comparison, such that even the one who had been amazing people is himself amazed. So what I want you to see is that the power of God When it is displayed through the work of somebody who is following God, right, and who is proclaiming his word, when that power is displayed, it is truly amazing in a way that nothing in this world will ever amaze. It is astonishing. It is powerful. And it is full of rejoicing because it always is accompanied by the good news. Now, you go back to our scripture reading this morning, and what chapter was that in Isaiah 15? And you read that, and you say, well, that was from a messenger of God, right? And it doesn't seem particularly joyful. Am I right? I mean... None of us want that to happen to us. None of us want him to allow the conquerors to come and for him to be saying, "And they won't spare they won't spare women, they won't spare children. It will be a disaster. It will be terrible." And yet even the prophet. Isaiah is filled with the declaration of the good news that God will be a God to his people and that he will rescue them out of slavery, that he will forgive them when they repent, that he will relent with his hand, that he will have mercy if they simply turn to him. And so this is why there is rejoicing when the good news is proclaimed, because all of us deserve this. You go to the New Testament and you remember reading about the Tower of Siloam and how it fell and killed several people. And everybody was looking at them and going, oh, they must have been terribly wicked people for the tower to fall and kill them. And Jesus says, no, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Right? This is what all of us deserve. This is not... Uh, some sort of unique thing to read the prophet Isaiah, to think about the Tower of Siloam, to think about our own lives, and to go back and apply the Word of God to it, what we begin to recognize is that, yes, we also deserve these things. And that is why when the when the true prophet of God, when the Apostle Philip shows up, when the Word of God is proclaimed, it is always a joyous thing and this is why we you know we sing restore unto me the joy of my salvation have you ever had that joy of knowing that you have been saved and yet it is easy for us to forget it isn't it it's easy for us to move Beyond it. But what a joyous thing. This good news, we see it coming here for the first time to Samaria and there is no shortage of rejoicing when they hear there's hope for salvation. They hear they can be saved. Now, now, Remember what I said at the beginning. I want you to ask the question, who are you going to follow? Let's look at Simon a little bit more. Simon the magician. Simon Magus. What kind of power was it that he had? Magic, if you will. I mean, that's Simon Magus. Simon the magician. Uh, He claimed to have God's power. Now today... We're transitioning back into a time of more superstition. But for the most part, still, especially I think uh, among, I think more among the wealthy, I don't know, uh, there is still a complete dismissal of magic as anything real. Right? I mean, nobody believes there is such a thing as actual magic. Well, like I said, we're transitioning to, to more people believing that, but still, the great majority of people in America today do not believe in anything, uh any sort of spiritual power, right? Any sort of true magic, which inevitably is always spiritual at some level, right? And so This can be, this, this could trick us accidentally into thinking that this doesn't have any application to us because there's no way anybody who, uh, who really believed this stuff could have half of a brain. But what I want you to, uh, what I want you to see is that we still have the equivalent today of magic. We have things that we believe in that we believe have power, okay? And I want you to see not just that we believe there are things that are powerful, uh, but that there are people who amaze us with their power, okay? Now, where do we see this? Well, because we think everything can be explained by science, uh, I think that the closest thing equivalent today to magic is marketing. Okay? Now, a lot of people still deny that marketing has any power over them, but they're idiots. Okay? Because billboards work. And the reason they work is because they work. <laughs> they produce sales because you're driving down the interstate and seeing them for 30 seconds out of the corner of your eye. You, you think that it has no influence on you, but it does. And you can, you can explain it through all kinds of psychological experiments that have been performed down through the past few decades, right? Right? but we've done away even though we even though we've done away with superstition in our minds okay we are still controlled by others i don't mean controlled in some sort of automaton way i just mean that we are influenced we are influenced if you guys have never watched any uh of this British show called Mind Control with Darren Brown. You should go and look it up. Mind Control with Darren Brown is fun, entertaining uh, demonstrations of how easily manipulated we are. That's the, the gist of it. because That's why he calls it mind control. Because it's very easy for us to be manipulated into doing what somebody else wants. And that's why I started out at the beginning saying, who are you going To follow. So, this sort of of impressive ability to make others do what you want, that's called marketing. Now, marketing exists in all kinds of realms, It it exists even inside the church. So, who do we think has impressive power today? Who amazes us? The people who do the best job marketing themselves. And that's what Simon was good at. (laughs) He had his whole PR campaign set out to make everybody believe that he was amazing, to make them believe that he had the power of God. And what I want you to see today is that inside the church, we've got that same sort of thing going on. Outside the church, it's a little bit different. Okay, but inside the church, you've still got people connecting it to the spiritual realm, when in reality, an awful lot of the time, all that's going on is that they are, they are making people see what they want to see. They're making people see what they want to see. Real dynamic charismatic personalities doing impressive things that we can't do ourselves that's impressive some of these uh, when you when you step outside the church you're you're looking at athletes actors CEOs but you step into the Christian realm and you're dealing with famous Christian authors and pastors right But anybody who does something that causes us to glorify them instead of God is doing what Simon Magus did. Now, I've got I to introduce a little bit of a, a, a catch right there because you remember that when later on Saul becomes Paul and he shows up with Barnabas, in a city that begins to want to worship him, them, wants to perform sacrifices because of the miracle that they performed, right? The people are giving them the glory that belongs to God, right? But it's not, and it is because Saul, I mean, Paul and Barnabas had performed this miracle, But that was not their goal. Their goal was that God would be glorified. And so what I want you to see is that there are men who people worship inappropriately who are simply trying to do the will of God and who are trying to give the glory to God. But what I want you also to see is that the moment that the people come and begin to worship you, you face serious temptations as a leader to begin to take that glory to yourself. Right. So it's not quite anybody who does something that causes us to glorify them instead of God is Simon Magus. It's anyone who does something with the goal of us glorifying them instead of God is Simon Magus. But there's still an awful lot of people who are willing, even if that's not their goal, to try to give them the glory. Now this, this power that we've been talking about with Simon, it is false power, but it is also amazing. Though it is just deception in the end, astonishing personal holiness, amazing personal holiness is worthless if it is simply an exterior show. Right? Amazing humility means nothing if it is a lie. Amazing humility that is a lie is actually pride. And I have, I have run into these men who do their absolute best to demonstrate in everything that they do to you how very humble they are. And it's, it's a lie. It, it flows directly out of their pride. Manipulative power that gets people to do what Simon wants, okay, that makes himself of central importance in defining their beliefs, that makes them dependent on him for what? Well, for their assurance of salvation, for their whatever, you name it. Okay, All of this is false power. All of it is manipulative power. when we when we think of following people and we think who are we going to follow and i put before you simon and philip the answer is obvious right i mean philip you want to follow but then you just you 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 can't you can't just say that you have to be able to distinguish between the two of them And so that's why I started talking about the fruit of Philip's work being joy in the city and people believing and being baptized. Simon's fruit was people being impressed by him and his religious accomplishments. Now you might say, well, Simon wasn't a Christian and I'm not tempted to follow non-Christians. But Paul fights all through Corinthians, 2 Corinthians especially, and Galatians, to get the people to stop following the super-apostles and to follow him and his teaching instead. Right? So from the beginning of the church, you see that there is this temptation to follow after men who are who, who claim the name of God, who claim the name of Jesus Christ, who are super apostles, who look very impressive, and yet who are no good for the people. In Second Corinthians eleven, twelve through fifteen, Paul says, But what I am doing, I will continue to do, so that I may cut off opportunity from those who desire an opportunity to be regarded just as we are in the matter about which they are boasting. So he says, I mean, it's a complicated construction, but he but um, he says, I'm going to do this so that they won't have a leg to stand on in their claims, in their boasting. And there, there's, if they have a leg to stand on, then they'll have an opportunity to be regarded like me. So what he ends up saying is, compare the two of us. I'll set myself up, and, and by, by continuing to do this, they, they won't have any opportunity to be regarded like me. Nobody will, be, and why? Well, because what he does is preaching the gospel with power, with the blessing of God, having been called to that work. And so he continues on and he says, "...for such men are false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. No wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Therefore, it is not surprising if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, whose end will be according to their deeds." So let's take a minute and think about what Simon is today, all right? I already said, you know, anybody who really impresses you and you begin to want to follow them and say, wow, they're truly amazing, who's not a Christian, and and that could be any different kind of person, the person who you admire their confidence, the person who you think, wow, they really understand Uh, whatever topic you're interested in right now you know oh wow he really managed to get a good job he really managed to get a good wife he really managed to you know she really is confident she really has the kids that i wish i had she nobody says that of course right you know her kids, she really has the ability to train her kids and have them doing what I wish mine would do, right? Any Anybody out there, it could be a non-Christian who we see and we think, wow, that's really impressive. I'm really impressed by that. I really wish I had that. And we begin to follow after them. And the moment that we begin to do that with a non-Christian, we are in, we are following after Simon, Okay? The moment we begin to do that with a non-Christian, we're following after Simon. Now, that does not mean that there's nothing that we can learn from non-Christians, you understand. Of course, there's much that we can learn. But when we begin to be so impressed by people that we desire to do what they do, be like they are like, and we know that they are not Christians, we're in real danger. Our role models matter. They actually affect what we do far more deeply than we think they do. But beyond that, I want to step from the non-Christian, from the people who are explicitly off in their own world, doing their own thing, non Christians, okay? I want to step into the church and say, we also have to be able to distinguish between the Simons and the Philips who claim to be Christians. Because remember what's coming with Simon is he's baptized, he becomes a Christian, he believes, and then he offers money to be able to lay hands on people and for them to receive the Holy Spirit. And so the contrast continues between these two men, just like the contrast between Paul and the super apostles, so-called super apostles. So when Paul says it's not surprising if Satan's servants disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, we ought to think, okay, that still happens today. There are servants of righteousness who are disguising, or you know, there are servants of Satan who are disguising themselves as servants of righteousness. Both Philip and Simon had people gathering to them intentionally but Simon gathered people to follow himself. Philip was not gathering people around himself, but to the church of Jesus Christ. And so God is glorified as he builds his church through Philip. Now you think of the super apostles, and the super apostles are building the church. Or apparently building the church, right? Right? preaching the gospel and so forth, are there super apostles today? Men who are actually not seeking the glory of God in the building of the church, but are, but are seeking to build up their own glory. There are. The temptations that we face are to be impressed by them by the things that they have managed. And what Paul does, what we see, the the contrast between him and the super apostles is the same contrast that we see between Philip and Simon. Simon is wanting people to follow him around. Philip is just continually doing the work. Continually doing the work of preaching, teaching, building, and you look and you say yeah but look tons of people tons of growth very impressive presentation getting a lot of things right obviously blessed look at the numbers right and that is the marketing that i that i spoke about earlier right because you demonstrate the proof through the world's measures Paul says, I'm going to keep on doing what I've been doing and the fruit will take away any ability that they have to claim to be doing the same thing I'm doing because it will look totally different. And so you'll see the difference and we see the difference here with Philip and Simon, even though there's, yes, there are large numbers of people with both of them. right? That's not how it's judged in the text is it and so when we when the, the moment that that somebody begins positing measures of success that are not based on the fruit of the spirit that moment is the moment that they've stepped into the super apostle realm that moment is the moment that they're looking to impress like Simon impresses rather than to have you follow them like Philip and Paul. Now I it's it's interesting all through the Bible you've got examples of uh leaving things general like that and of getting very specific in naming names, okay? And sometimes it's hard to know when to do one or the other as a pastor. Should I just leave it general and let you think about who that might be, you know? Or should I just start naming some actual names? And what I want to to do today is I want to do a little bit of both, I want to back up in time and I want you to look at uh, some people who are not really generating a lot of interest today and think about what it was like when they were. So you remember Rob Bell? You remember when the NUMA videos were first coming out? He was claiming to be spiritual. Spiritual a Christian. He was claiming to be someone who was seeking to declare the gospel, right? And now today he's pretty much unknown, not generating any excitement, right? And so there's not a lot of temptation left for any of us, or really most anybody, I don't think. Uh, I mean, sure, he'll, he'll still sell books, I'm sure, if he writes another book, but You get my point. I use him as an example because I think that many people can see through now, Christians can see through now, who he is. But at the time, it was very, very easy to be drawn into the impressiveness of what he was doing. And I say that as someone who was incredibly impressed when I saw him speak in person at the Christian Booksellers Association. I saw the NUMA videos, one or two of them, before they were released. You know, these pre-release screenings and so forth. And it was amazing. It was amazing how easy it was for him to manipulate my thoughts and feelings. It was amazing how impressive he was to me. And it took quite a bit of thought after the fact for me to go from being uh, emotionally affected, like, wow, that was so powerful, to, to asking the question, what did he say? You see? And so this is what I want you guys to, if, if, if you're, if you're wondering, okay, well, who am I following? Who am I impressed by? Is it right? Is it, am I following a Philip or am I following a Simon? Am I following a Paul or am I following a super apostle, right? I want you to ask yourself, okay, what is impressive about it? What, what does it generate? What is the fruit of it? And what is he actually saying? Because Philip was declaring the gospel. And when I asked the question, what was Rob Bell actually saying? It, I, I ended up having to say, you know, I've never listened to somebody who could speak and, and so enthrall me. And at the end have said absolutely nothing. He really hadn't. He had told amazing stories that that moved you, but with no point. And so this is just one example, right, of somebody who I don't think is a danger to any of you today, but who I know personally, the power that he had was the power that Simon had. It was magical. It was marketing at its finest. Brought into the church and dressed up in Christian clothes. The power of God. But it wasn't God. It wasn't of God. It wasn't the power of the Holy Spirit. And so today, in Cincinnati, Crossroads has the power of marketing. It's impressive. But what is the fruit? What is the fruit in people's lives? And and, uh, that is direct and personal here in Cincinnati in a way that it wouldn't be anywhere else, of course. Right? But that's who needs, that's who needs to be contrasted right now. Okay? And so, I, I want you to think about what the fruit is of Crossroads, what it is that they're actually saying to people, and I want you to compare it to this church and to me. Not because I don't sin, but because what what I am doing and what we are doing as a church is totally different than what Crossroads is doing. Okay? Does that make sense? And and if you can't see that, I want you to talk to me about it. I'm I'm happy to talk about it. But it, it bears repeating in this city where so many people are confused and impressed and think that it's something amazing going on this is marketing i don't do marketing i i mean if i try i'm terrible at it okay so in that sense it's a curse but actually it doesn't matter because philip nobody talks about how impressive philip was with his marketing like they do simon What they talk about is there's hope. There is joy. There is fruit of the Holy Spirit being at work. That's not because of Philip. That's because the power of God is at work. He is establishing his church. Let's pray.